This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Hey, welcome to Weekend to Workplace. I'm excited for our conversation today. My name is Mark Grundon, and our guest today is Stuart Matthews. Stuart is an award-winning visionary innovator uh, who has led innovations at his own startup company to Fortune 500 companies such as Intel and Experian. He now serves as the director of industry alliances at University of California, Irvine, Beale Applied Innovation. Stuart launched a Christian fellowship club at work, specifically at Experian, creating a model that has spread across three continents in three years. I think that's amazing. I can't wait to hear more about that. He has now his passion is to help professionals find their ministry calling in their workplace and has created a methodology for starting a Christian club and expanding it with the support of the employer. Stuart, welcome to the program. I'm excited for this. Mark, good to, good to be looking at you and talking with you here. This is going to be a fun, uh, fun conversation for people in the workplace. So good. Hey, before we get into that conversation and start talking about some things, uh, would you explain a little bit more about your current position? I mean, the title is Director of Industry Alliances at UCI Beal Applied Innovation. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so my role is work for UC Irvine. Um, the UC system is actually in the Constitution for the state of California. It's quite interesting. It's a big entity. There's a lot of research money that comes from the National Science Foundation, National Institutes for Health, et cetera, um, to one of our 16 schools. And my job is connect the people that have interest in pure research and things that are being invented, campus, um, and connect them with industry. And there's a few focus areas, but you know, that's my job is to connect it up right now. The biggest area of interest is artificial intelligence, generative AI, chat GPT. Things are in the news. A lot of misunderstanding conversation has ramped up. That's we're right in the middle of that connecting the creative industry. Uh, you know, think of Disney at Paramount, uh, PBS, et cetera, with uh, the pure research and the math that goes into deep learning and machine learning uh, that powers AI. So, um, doing those kind of connections across the board in a variety of different ways could, could include healthcare, could include hydrogen power for cars, better nanotechnology to make EV batteries. You know, my mind's blown by the things I see at work every day. My mind is blown too. That's amazing. What a cool opportunity you have there. All right. It's a God thing. Stuart, let's go back before we get more into that. And I hope we do. Let's go back a little bit to your beginning. You know, where did you grow up? How did your life begin? Uh, your, your formation of faith. I mean, it was were you a Christian your whole life or did this come at a later period of time? I'd love to hear more about your background. Grew up in a Christian family, youngest of four boys, smallest as well at six, three, um, and was never led to forget it. You grew up in the Midwest, I think. So you get the idea. Dinners, family time was everything. We didn't really talk about our faith much because it wasn't as vibrant, but it was the Jesus movement in the seventies. And my brothers were older, so they were involved in, in teen ministries and other stuff. So I grew up around that. And then one of my brothers who went to SMU uh, found this Christian sports camp that was three weeks in the Ozarks, essentially, of Missouri, called Kanakuk, um, on biblical principles, sports, excellent college D1 athletes as uh, you know, running a cabin of eight or ten kids of the same age, guys and girls had their own camp, too. Um, yeah, so that's was that was the genesis. It was hearing about Christ in a way that it just had never been explained, and I got it instantly. It was you know solidified and just over the three weeks that I was there, just became richer. As at the same time, you're a dorky ten year old, right, trying to just figure out what to do. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. And then you're in innovation. Like you know, it sounds like you're you're your story has really been a lot about, or at least your, the high points that I, I shared in the intro has really been an innovator. And was that a part of your, like, how did you begin on the, on the track that would lead you to be an executive at these large companies? It, it probably has something to do with the upbringing and being like 12 years younger than all my brothers. So the stuff they were into, I was seeing way before a kid my age would see it. Um, the conversations at the dinner table were were deep and meaningful, and I, I I grew to quickly figure out how to put things together, make things, um, and try and keep up. 
right? It was just the thing to try and do. Um, and then, and then I have a naturally God-given salesy positive personality, not tooting my horn, but I've had it tested and that's what I've been told. And that exudes and, and helps when you're trying to persuade people to go do new things. And then it helps to be a modicum of technical so you can explain how it's all going to all come together. Um, my wife and I were just talking about this. I never, you know, if I was a nurse or a piano teacher, um, when you go through life's, life's tribulations in your career and you have to switch careers, which has happened to me as part of my story, um, it's easier to find that next one because you're a piano teacher as opposed to an innovator. Try to find a job with innovator in today's economy. It's a tough one. And a lot of people listening to this, you know, we're going to talk some work stuff. This is, you know, it's very real. I've talked to a number of people. There have been layoffs at the place that I was laid off, continue. Um, and so you got to find God in your center in this whole thing so that you can feel okay when you put your head on the pillow at night to let your mind turn off. Your, your, your brothers were ahead of you, but did you like, did your, your parents give you big guidance in, in where you started or, or how to take those first steps in going to school? And then can you talk a little bit about that track from, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, mom was an educator. Everyone in the family had a master's, I think, at some point. Um, and an MD and uh, another brother got right, Dr. Reverend. He's like two PhDs. It's ridiculous. So, you know, from the beginning, and some of them were like record-holding athletes um, at a high school level. So there was just a, you will be going to college. It's just a matter of which one. And the Lord changed my dad's uh, career. He worked for farmers for years and um, successful. And they tried to get him to come to California for years, but he wouldn't go until my brothers were kind of off college out of the house. And so the comment was, well, if we screw up one out of four by taking him to California, then, you know, it's not the end of the world. We'll hope the best for Stewart. <laughs> we moved to Southern California and it all got very interesting and played out in a way that that changed, you know, my dad said he would send me to Mizzou where everyone in my family kind of went uh, for something or other undergrad or graduate. Um, and I said, I'm not, I don't want to go there. I want to go to USC. I'm going to stay in Southern California. Why would I go? Same money. So there was always go to college. What will you do after was kind of drafting off them. So my dad was a business guy. My mom taught five, uh, very cool home ec and, um, art and cooking and other classes in the Midwest when, which was funded. Well, um, uh, my, one of my brothers came to doctor, one was a business guy and then became a pastor. So there was always this kind of follow be a professional of some sort thing that was talked about. And I just understood, I think like most of us do, our values are a combination of what I believe in. You know, for me, it was faith and family and other things and you pay your taxes. And I was a conservatively minded person and, uh, you know, I didn't feel like I deserved handouts or anything. I had to do the work. Right. Um, and bumps would have sued. So, you know, in my teenage years, my first job was footlocker with the stripes, nice. which was great. Very nice. uncomfortable. Right? And I mostly remember stacking boxes up high, lots of Nikes, learning how retail work, right. And deciding, Nope, don't want to do that uh, anymore. What else will I go do? I've worked as a cook in a Marie calendars, really hard work. I appreciate those people continued on my education. Um, did some early computer consulting. Kinko's was actually using Macs in the Kinko's. You could go in and work on a project, print it out, do whatever you needed to do. And there was one by USC campus. They paid me to come in and just make sure all the stuff worked early IT, right? So I just, I stumble into these things and find them fascinating and someone will pay me and I add value and just keep going. You're, you said farmers, your dad was, was a business guy in farmers, farmers insurance. And so- how did you begin? Was that when you started really moving into your career from different, you know, part-time jobs or, or different things, what did that, the genesis of that look like for you? Um, so West Los Angeles, mid Wilshire, where farmers insurance was. And my dad was the president of the commercial group. Um, you know, it was a tough commute, but it was doable. I think is what it showed. And a lot of the jobs in Southern California at the time were either, kind of along the coast, you could have been in aerospace and other stuff and been in El Segundo. There's a, there's some centers at the time, right? Um, and just the banking and the business and the finance and the core downtown big buildings, Wilshire Boulevard appealed to me. Um, so I interviewed at USC through the career center with a number of companies, made it through a whole pro bunch of processes, Clorox up in San Francisco, 
Denver was General Electric uh, Capital or Credit at the time, which was interesting, but it was Denver and they flew me in on a 20 degree day out. Right. <laughs> and um, yeah, some other stuff. Right. And then, uh, but I was in love with a girl that I met on the beach, Susie, and uh, went to high school with and was fortunate enough to have God put the two of us together and we exchanged verses. Um, and so there was no way I was leaving Southern California to leave her. So Robinson's May department stores was still pretty substantial entity in Southern California. Robinson had always been the coacher from Paris, right. And around the world brought to their very nice store in downtown LA, which still, I, I don't know if it's there, but we were in it. Um, and it was a training program, learn how to be an executive, which was a path they'd hoped to be in a buyer, being a young person in touch with retail who cared about the horrible hours and, you know, tough process. So, uh, I quickly moved from doing that into the technical kind of reporting computer side of that business. And then in the finance group to just see how the business ran. Cause I knew I needed to understand the core of the business and buying this stuff and dealing with the buyers. Whew, that was no fun. <laughs> folding sweaters on Christmas Eve on a store floor and just thought, I just folded that pile and those people just tore it up. <laughs> what am I doing? I need to find something different, right? So it was a good entry, uh, entree into the in the system. You know, you found out on Fridays at four o'clock you were working the weekend, so it just created a. I want to. I want something different. You know, I want to be led in a different way. And um, God led me to start seeking, asking questions. There was no LinkedIn. There was no. You had the San Gabriel Valley Tribune and the LA Times, right, in the classified section to go look stuff up. There probably was an early website, but everyone had dial-up modems. And I'm dating ourselves here for me. Um, so yeah, uh, was getting ready to leave to go work for what was Verizon, but then it was air touch and, uh, just pit it. I kind of knew that telco and stuff was going to be something I needed to get into it. Definitely not brick and mortar retail. Um, and that circuitously had me through my dad and I'd recommend to everyone in your, this is workplace related use your network. That was my earliest example of talking to my dad, sat down at the dinner table. You know, I had a great relationship. We would talk about this and that. And he just said, you ought to talk to these people in LA, get their ideas and the people that they would talk to and the kind of stuff you might be usable for. They may even have a job. Right. And I talked to a guy that a few weeks later had an idea. He told me at first go work for Xerox and learn how to sell. It's always great training and you'll learn a ton about business. And I thought, I have two close friends that work at Xerox and they're knuckleheads like me. I don't want to go work there. <laughs> no way. And I just kept looking and then he called me back, which was God. And he had an idea to make this healthcare network, uh, using credit card boxes that he was leasing to banks, um, for healthcare connectivity to insurance company mainframes and other systems to pass benefit data and do claims. And who would have known that we were at the beginning of health informatics for revenue, uh, building this network with uh, ANSI national standards that would later go on to be, you know, a billion dollar business. Now Experian acquired it in 2013. So that was the retail into high tech. Right. And that was probably the launch of the innovator side of me. Of There's a, there's a better way to solve this problem. Is there a way to make money at it? Probably. And in, in, in that, in that role, that innovator side, can you talk a little bit more about like what, what was stirring in you? Like, how did you know this was something that was a part of who you are and that you'd want to take next steps in that? Was it, was it intuitive? Was it, um, was it, how was that kind of confirmed? You just started beginning to excel in that aspect and enjoying the work. Yeah. And we look backwards on it now and we see it and label it that I wouldn't have called it or known that it was that if, if you walked me through a conversation about this, I would have said, yeah, innovator seems to fit me. But at the time it was more opportunistic and what made sense from a business. What am I going to learn in this next job? That's going to make me better that I'm going to get up and want to do how far is the drive? You know, what are the logistics of this thing and does it appeal to me and what pay me more than I'm making now? Right. was always the goal. I think that's a lot of people's, um, and then it's once you're in there, you got to keep your eyes open to see the opportunities and see where a pain point is, listen in conversations, participate in meetings um, so that you can make some educated guesses. And before you know it, you're actually going to help someone get something, make something better, right? Or create something new. 
So how did, so keep going. Uh, and then yep. as, as the time progressed, how did you get connected to a company like Intel? Yeah. So we merged uh, the late nineties, kind of the dot-com era crash. We were a tech company getting interest from others around the country. The VC and private equity world wasn't as sophisticated as it is now, but there was an IPO planned. And then the market fell apart because all the tech companies burst and an IPO didn't make a lot of sense to do. So we looked for a partner, which was a company in Nashville, Tennessee, that still has an office there called Passport Health. Um, and they had complementing technology to ours and they had a customer base being Nashville that was very, uh, as you'll recognize the term Mark Mid-Eastern. And uh, we had the Midwest and the West and lots of big hospital entities in California. I mean, we had 400 clients. So we did a merger and then merged the technologies and eventually merged the people, which merged me out of the business. Because mm -hmm. not everyone survives. Now, before we get to that, which is interesting. So this, this merger, this is the company that, is this a company that you were working for? Or is this one of the companies that you had? Um, is this the startup that you were working with? This is the startup. So the guy that I went to talk to is a gentleman named Jerry Sullivan, who was a very, you know, long time, longstanding, high regard, big dollar insurance broker, the kind that has to go through London and lots of pages to describe what's being covered for how much, et cetera. Um, and he did work with my dad because the insurance work and the commercial and the wholesale side of the insurance transaction was a farmers to Lloyd's to London thing. And so it was that level person that had the wherewithal and the um, connection that God had created for this guy to be in the renting credit card boxes that can be reprogrammed business. Um, and we had a platform, right? So it's just anything that whatever you're doing, if, if you got a platform and a start, um, it was him. Uh, and then later after we had merged with passport, um, you know, passport kind of took over things and the Nashville, um, leadership team ended up deciding they didn't need to have an LA office, satellite office, uh, and all the other things that would go into that decision. And so I moved on. Um, I actually did a stint at Cerner, which has been acquired by Oracle recently. And that was learning how industrial grade software works. Everything sits on top and Oracle environment has for years. Oracle just acquired it um, recently though. And so you had this very powerful health platform software that runs a hospital, the lab, the pharmacy, um, the patient admitting systems, surgery, all kinds of things. Um, bulletproof, not hackable generally, but very complex. So I did that for a couple of years, um, primarily because our previous deal with hospitals included one of the largest in the country, which was Tenet, still is, them and HCA. Their operations in Dallas, and we had a good friend there that was a friend of the business, so ended working up, working there, learning how to do the Cerner, sell the, my software's better than McKesson, better than someone else's software, right, which a lot of people out there in the space are doing. My software does this. It'll be the price that I said it will, and it'll do all the things you need it to do to make your business better. That's a tough business. So then you, you were working at, um, your company merges with Intel and then you basically with that merger, you were merged out. You, I guess that transition, I mean, for, as you, as you continue to progress forward, did it seem like it was just up and to the right for you as it continued on or in those transition moments where there are times where it was like, all right, this isn't really what I had planned or expected or even want. Uh, minor correction. So it was passport that acquired the startup, which was MediCheck. So MediCheck, MediCheck, medical check is how it's found it. Uh, and passport merged in Nashville. So then after Cerner, um, I ended up joining Intel. They actually found and recruited me as part of a, a merry group of people that were healthcare informatic experts to come apply what we knew and the relations we had uh, to driving the core infrastructure that healthcare is going to require, which is going to be servers, lots of industrial strength software uh, to secure it, manage it, move the data, et cetera. Um, and that was great. It was learning a whole other side of the business. You know, this is the stuff that you must have for the software I was selling at Cerner to run or the laptop that a doctor wants to use bedside with a patient. So our focus was, um, the healthcare delivery and other sides of things. We made some purpose built stuff for, 
uh, people with dyslexia and readers and bedside monitors. It, it was fascinating to see the industrial machine that is major silicon production and boards and everything else, you know, going, going uh, together to turn out what is the new economy, right? That's where it all starts in a box. And then it goes to HP or it goes to Dell and the math and the accounting of it was just the funniest thing because you don't really know who it ends up as Intel. You don't really know who the end customer is of that chip, um, you know, to a point. And so there's these incentive payments and ways of doing the business to try and motivate the ecosystem that I got to play in along the way, which was a lot of fun. Intel wasn't like long-term for you. How many, how many years? 10 years. 10 years. That's a significant time. 10 years. And then what, what did that transition out of the company look like for you? Transition out with 20,000 of my other closest friends were transitioned out. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell a little bit about that season right there? I think that's an important part of your story. Yeah. For anyone that's gone through it or going through it, you know, our, our prayers are with you. This is God will get you through it. Um, so I like the, I like the band you too. And I'm going to, uh, refer back. I was thinking about this the other day, watching them sing vertigo in a different way. And as I listened in slow time to the, to the lyrics that described that period of my life, um, and where's my career and what's happening in the workspace and where's God connected to all this. And it was a go on Sunday thing. And I love Jesus. And I listened to, you know, the fish FM. I try, I, I knew the difference between different kinds of music and how it affected my brain and the things that I consume. But, um, like these lyrics say, yeah, it was in the middle, right? Um, so only Bono can get away with one, two, three, fourteen. Uno, dos, tres, catorce. Turn it up loud. And then he goes down. He says, um, there's a jungle in your head. The feeling's so much stronger than you thought. Your eyes are wide. And though your soul, it can't be bought, your mind can wander. And I think a lot of people, myself included, the mind wandered through that space and wasn't really paying attention to how God wanted to use me at that point in my career. And I had this wonderful transition that God had planned that I got to experience. And because I was looking, uh, I was looking back Mark actually on what was happening in the exact months when this happened for this conversation, Rick Warren was preaching daring faith campaign. And I went and found the program and all the study guides. And uh, it's a surfer at the top of a hundred foot wave dropping in. Daring faith, huge wave. And uh, that's when, before the Intel transition occurred, we were going through that. And I was just, my chest was getting pumped up. I was excited. Like I was going to serve the church. Um, God was going to use me and I could feel it. You know, I could really feel this thing shifting um, and ahead of the, uh, the getting cut in the unemployment. So this is this, this well up uh, within your sp- like just within you of, you know, this was an opportunity. This was the perspective that you was happening even after, like after the, the, the large layoff happened at, at Intel. It was happening really strong for several months leading up to the day I found out. And when I took the call from my boss, who was a believer, Fred, um, it's like, you know, I tried to work around this, but there's just no way the numbers are too big. We got to cut. I'm so sorry. You know, I feel like God's going to be in this for you. And I'm like, I know he is it's been weird the last few weeks, the sermons I've been processing, I'm feeling the Holy spirit tell me there's something new awaiting me. So I'm not holding on and this will be exciting. You know, thank you. He even let me address the team because he knew my attitude about the whole thing was so great that he wanted me to share my perspective with the 10 other people that we all worked with about how it was all going to be great. And God was in charge. So talk to me a little bit about that, that, how long about that period of unemployment? How long did that season go for you? And I mean, like that on a, on a work side of things, were you easy going? You just, you had enough saved up that you were next five years. If you had to be, you could, you could go unemployed or, you know, was there, was there tension in there? But then you also have this, Hey, God has this like amazing moment that you feel that he's opening a door to. I mean, how do those things work together? Can you explain that? Honestly, if, if I hadn't heard the song started to not let my mind wander, I started to begin a very purposeful walk with God. And I hear it repeatedly now. I wasn't hearing it as clearly back then, the importance of daily interactive time alone with God prayer, right? And by having that, I was getting this peace that I otherwise 
wouldn't have had that allowed me to take very strategic and yet relaxed, not terribly filled with anxiety and terror moments and steps over a one and a half year period of time that I was in transition. I found odd jobs. I found consulting and some stuff here and there. Um, worked with someone that was a descendant of people that made the atomic bomb and working with lobbyists and Congress people in DC and other stuff along the way to try and figure out what was right and what was next. Ultimately it ended up being Experian, but that was, you know, me going to the Saddleback career training people and finding wonderful people willing to help and teach me how to do it. Most people and myself included didn't do very well, which was network for the purpose of finding that next job before you need it because it's really hard to do, you know? So I went through this whole coaching, learning transition process, walking with God though, like every day for, you know, extended periods of time to be able to just focus and calm the worry of I got a kid in college and another one going to college and yeah, I'd like to retire someday and where's the money coming from. And, um, yeah, there was, we, we had a few arguments here and there. We had some stress, but we didn't, you know, we didn't scrape, get scraped up too much. We saved money like God tells us to do. And he was, he was kind of obedient to bring the next job. Actually, if I think back, probably right as the fumes were like filling the tank and we were going, I can't do it anymore. You know, I I seem to remember it was like right there. That was the, okay, you're done. Here you go. Out of the waiting room. I'm going to use you now. You know, you said that there was this, you know, this moment, uh, the weeks leading up to the layoff and then stepping into it, you just felt like the Lord was, Hey, there's, there's going to be opportunities for you that he's creating in this season. Um, I mean, besides what you just touched on now, were there, was that, how did you see those opportunities play out in that time where you were unemployed? Yeah, there was opportunities to serve. I initially thought maybe this is a sign because Rick had been talking about that uh, from the pulpit. There was an acrostic or something that had different ways that you can serve and be part of the dropping in on the wave and helping grow the kingdom. My wife and I were serving in the food pantry uh, there was some other stuff I was involved in men's, but I went to the technical team um, actually before the unemployment to bring resources from Intel, maybe technology or something to bear for the church, built a relationship again, networking, and that allowed me to then be part of their team to create software for the food pantries to check people in. And, you know, it was just kind of core to what I did. I spent time around the evolution of the tablet my team, we, you know, we worked with Microsoft on the surface tablet. Uh, and so to be able to kind of see that human to human interaction and where should technology be and how intrusive and not should it be and where could, what can you do with the data? You and I've talked about the analytics and AI of today and what we could know about people and maybe help them find their path to discovering Jesus and a life of joy uh, in a better way by using algorithms could be very powerful. But, um, yeah, I thought it was going to be a serve the church. And so we did, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of little serve here, but it, it, it being part of staff didn't play out, didn't make sense. And actually went to an event that Rick, um, did in the main sanctuary during the week one time about, you know, getting involved in working, um, for the kingdom. <laughs> and he said something to the effect of, if you think that the corporate world's hard and you want to come hide and work at the church because it'll be easy, we don't know. It doesn't work like that. Don't think that way. That's not for you. There's only certain people for the right reasons that most of you are going to have to go do your faith in the workplace and not here at the church. So, um, and it was perfect. Right. So that's when I met, um, our friend Julie Chung, cause she was in the back and Rick had her on stage talking about promoting workplace ministries and the importance of building faith community and fellowship and connective tissue in your workplace. And it's hard. It's, somewhat terrifying maybe for people, but it's important. Was that, a, how did that statement that Rick was saying settle with you? That, that, I mean, in terms of, I imagine as you were serving and volunteering in church ministries, that there was a connection that you were enjoying that aspect of it. And then he was, you know, his statement, you know, this isn't a place for you to come and hide many of you and probably speaking to you, you need to be in the workplace itself. How did that rest and sit within your heart? Yeah, that was. Um, like, did it, it was encouraging. 
It wasn't me. It, it told me your gift is go, go be you mm. in the corporate bougie world. Bring my truth to wherever you're going to go work. And you've got a mind and a resume that you could go do any number of things, you know, give you a little bit of influence so that you can make some things happen and have the freedom to think and bob and weave um, and go, go use your talents and proclaim my name and find those that, you know, believe like you in the workplace. That was pretty clear to me at that time. And there were some pastors and others that I'd spoken with about, you know, maybe work for the church, et cetera. And we played it out and was like, no, I got two kids in college and yeah, I'd be better used supporting the church tithing, you know, go make a bunch of money, tithe, be part of the system in another way, but you got bills to pay and you got to think about, you know, the value work that you do, right. And what you get paid to do it. It was how it played out. I find that interesting that you, so this was a season, really a year and a half that you were volunteering. The Lord was speaking you and through these kind of speaking to you through some of these statements. You went to this, uh, uh, I I was at that event. We had about 2000 people that came together that were actively looking like, what does it look like for me to, to bring my faith and my work together? And so that time, then, then from there, that's when an opportunity opened up for you to move into another company. Can you kind of begin talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, work your network. So a friend was a a senior person on the tech side at Experian and, um, we knew their kids grew up together, et cetera. We just happened to be talking about Experian and I'd looked at it before, but not as deep as I should have. And so I found a, a position there that was listed, um, because our company was acquired by Experian, I was able to reach out to some other um, leaders over there uh, as one of the people that founded a business that they had, had acquired, had some conversations, talked about the business and applied for this role in their data lab, which is the R and D group of Experian um, interviewed, got the job. Yeah. And it was, it was wonderful, really smart people uh, learn a whole new side of the business. And I knew that going in. So I knew the technology, the platform, the software, the delivery, the, how a person uses technology, the limitations, what's real, what's not. Um, but I'd not played with the data. And so I was excited about experience because I wanted to understand the third leg of the technology triangle stool, whatever you want to call it and see how models were created and what data, you know, actually can do. It is referred to as the gold of our economy. It is, and it turns out the experience had one of the largest data sets on the planet. So it was fun. So this transition didn't even seem like it was just a, a job for you to take, but it seems like it was a perfect fit for your background, the skill set that you brought. Yeah. It's almost as if Mark, that God had it planned. <laughs> so do you, and, and speak to that. Do you feel that like, what's your outlook in terms of how, as you've gone through, I mean, then, and then, I mean, let's just quickly fast forward before I go to this question about, you know, God's sovereignty over your, your, your career. Um, and then you were at, it, it, we'll talk about the experience story, but then coming out of experience, how long were you there for? And then there was another transition. Five years plus um, multiple things while I was there. Cool nod to my father and in insurance that I spent a lot of time focused on insurance and it was super fun work with some great people. Um, and uh that led to the transition out. They've, the, you know, the headwinds have been hard for that business and, and others and senior people get cut first cause they just do. So that, that occurred last year, about almost exactly a month ago. Um, and it, there was purposeful time off, um, and other things leading to UCI and it just, it's a state, it's a state job. Um, so it was a, you know, certainly a change in income compared to the corporate world. And we prayed about that and thought about that, but I figure what I did at Experian with respect to faith, maybe God wants me to do it again here, you know, where I'm at now. And so these transitions now to me feel, um, more like looking around the corner, interested at what is going to happen and leaning into it instead of, you know, just a job. I mean, it's, it's always easier looking hindsight at where we're at when we go into these difficult transitions uh, and you've gone through two significant ones, having gone through them, what's your, like, you know, and, and this is a period of time. I think that this is a timely conversation. If you go to layoffs.fyi, you can see hundreds of thousands of people that, especially in the tech sector that have been laid off in recent months. 
what's your perspective or thoughts on God's sovereignty in our work, even when layoffs come? I don't know. And all mine felt different, but I felt God's hand in them because of the next thing, right? It wasn't what was happening to me and the person that delivered it in a good or bad way, whether it was fair or not. Um, yeah, those it didn't always feel great, but I, I processed it as his sovereignty is that the next step he knows. Mm-hmm. And I just need to keep my Bible tight and my coffee in the morning and conversations with him going and everything seems to work out better at the end of each day. When I do that, when I let myself get busy and I don't give God his time, um, I operate on reminders. So I got reminders every so often spread out for things like, I'm looking at one right now, praise God and ask for help. Mm. Praise God. I love you so much. And you've given me so much clarity on the things that I've done and I did bountifully you know, please help me again. You know, I'm trying to make a decision. You know, those things pervade. When you moved into Experian, not only was it like the ideal job for you in terms of skill set, opportunity, things that you can work on, apply yourself to, uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the position and the opportunity to, to direct an entire effort there. What did, uh, it also seemed like this is, this is where, Christian Experian, uh, Fellowship of Christians at Experian began. Can you talk a little bit about that origin and how this is all kind of coming together at the same time? Yeah, and it happened quickly, which is the cool thing about it when you look back on it. Shortly after you join a company, there's going to be in each business unit a certain amount of people you're going to need to meet. So, you know, they just put them as meet and greets, half hour, you meet people um, and get acquainted and hopefully you take some sense away of who did what so you could do your job. Well, one of them was an interesting one that turned into a faith conversation because I was wearing a bracelet that he recognized that signified I was a believer Christian. Um, he asked me about it and I answered honestly, and we talked about our faith and, um, he felt, you know, it's kind of like the fish in the dirt moment, right? Um, drawing one half and the other where we felt it out. And then realized, yep, this person's safe. And so he said, there's a club structure here. And I put a placeholder since I, I manage the club structure, someone's got to do it. And I decided we needed a Christian club to go with the sports clubs and chess club and whatever. And, uh, but you know, we'll find someone to run it. So he goes, I think you're the guy I've been waiting for a while. And I think you're the guy to run it. And I thought, no, no me, but okay. Thank you. <laughs> And because I'm just lean that way, I'm thinking, God, is this you? You know, as I'm having the conversation with the guy um, and worry and concern. And I don't know many people yet. And what's the view of the, you know, is this a conservative or whatever kind of an organization? How's that going to be viewed? All those kind of thoughts went through my head and the meeting ended. uh, And it wasn't more than a few minutes go by. And I had the thought that, you know, okay, God, of course, this is why I'm here, right? Because you expect to use me and cool things will happen. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to ignore this. Just didn't even feel like an option to not say yes. I just felt like, yep, I'm doing it. And what was that? Can you describe? So there were, they're looking to do Christian club. So this guy is saying we have sports clubs. We want to have a Christian club. Um, how did that get going? What did you, you were, was there already a framework for you to build out? It seems like then, um, I, I, it doesn't seem like there was and that you had to bring kind of that creativity, uh, bring the people together. How did, how did that group begin to form there at your company? Yeah. Uh, again, prayer time, talking with some people, I've got a men's group that I've met with for 12 years. Right. I'm, and I know I bounced it off my, my guy friends and then just got creative and put on some corporate savvy of what will work and what won't talk to the people in the club structure and they were having a, a food truck day where all the clubs were going to set up tables and talk and sign do signups, et cetera. It was perfect. You know, it was, if it was tailor made to launch this club. So I just showed up with my sign and I had like 40 or 50 people um, sign up. Right. And probably about half of them responded when I sent out a group email, I just kind of moved forward and God opened it was manna. There was a little bit. Okay. Breakfast. Right. And what's the next thing? And the doors just kept opening. So uh, people responded. We had initial meetings early in the morning. Thank goodness most people said, I hate that. Let's do it at lunch. 
you know, every other week. And so we did that, which is better. People didn't have to drop off their kids at a different time and other, all kinds of conflicts. But once you're at work, you're at work, right. Was the lesson. So do it at normal work time. And, um, yeah, it, it, it grew from a small core group of people that met over a period of time to us doing outreach. We did time in the food warehouse and pantries at Saddleback and a variety of other things, Christmas, kids, reading to kids, elderly homes, you know, just kind of feeling like the stuff that we ought to do, we ought to make time for it. And it was fun. So we did that and the group grew um, to doing, you know, we would do a Bible study every week, every Wednesday in the boardroom. Um, sometimes 15, 20 of us, variety of different business units would get together and people of different ages and we would study, we were going through Romans, um, and, and maybe listen to some praise music and do what I like to call peak and pit, which was the highlight and low light of your last week or however long it's been since we've seen you. So we can pray for you. And, and the group grew tight such that then we developed a group on the teams platform, which is, you know, like Slack or whatever, where you've got a private group chat going. Um, the one I left, I think there was like 400 people in that group chat wow. fellowship of Christians that experienced what we called it. And, uh, it was, it was neat to see the praises and the grandmas in the hospital. And my son just recommitted his life to Jesus. And, you know, I've got a project. Does anyone know anything about accrual based accounting? You know, I'm lost, you know, to just having lunch and doing life together. It was so rich to have that at work. So rich. Wow. What can you talk a little bit about that, that richness? Like how did that impact having that type of community there? The type of prayer support, the, the, the you know, just the camaraderie and, and, and the ability to serve together and do some, just some fun, but really meaningful things together. And then also to, to have people like that, that you're working on projects with up and down and different and different levels of responsibility. I mean, that richness for your own personal life, what did that make the work environment for you look like or feel like? Yeah. So this was the years were like the, the middle end, like we're talking about 18, 17, 18 going into 19 and we know what happened in 1920. So for COVID purposes, man, it was great. Cause this was a setup for how to be in a relationship with someone and talk about real stuff. So I would start meetings with some of the people richness explained version one here is, I could say, how's your teenage son doing that thing that you shared with me, right? Because I've got this deeper relationship that um, all the folks in the in a group, I think, of, of similarly minded people develop a level of trust that's better. So that level of trust allows more genuine sharing and not just, hey, I thought about watching the game this weekend. But, you know, I visited my mother who's a shut in. And it was emotionally difficult for me this weekend. And you do life just so much more aware and caring and, and prayerful. 400 people in that group chat at the end is a lot to have in a executive conference room on a Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday lunchtime. How did, how did that, like, what did that look like across the board? Like, did you have a, sm a group? There's other groups that are existing that are meeting at different times. Yeah. How did that whole great function question. play out? Yeah. Great question. Um, uh, we had a primary group in Costa Mesa, which is where the headquarters was. And that was the one that met in person every week, sometimes every other um, COVID hit and things really took off. So at that time we also had a, another group in Chicago because we had some on fire people in the Chicago group that would zoom in, but decided they wanted to get their own. They played guitar and they were doing singing at their own in the boardroom. It's great. I wanted to visit, but I never could. Um, and then we had a virtual group. There was a bunch of people that did East coast time. Um, so it was growing and percolating and then COVID hit and another leader and I said, let's go to our CEO and see if he'll put an all company. And this was a trick move, right? An all company hands bulletin. Everyone's scared. It's COVID people are going back to church. He had even mentioned in his video address to the whole company that was recorded. You were suggesting to watch in the early days of COVID that people were finding comfort in a variety of ways. My family and I did church virtually for the first time this weekend. And I thought, there's my hand. I'm going to go ask the guy for people to go to church. Cause I now know you do. Can I put a prayer call together every Monday? I'll host it with some leaders and we'll share and we'll do a half hour teams call, um, Bible study that anyone can call into. And he did. And it, the whole company just 
at the beginning was like, I don't, I don't know how many people, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands were joining this thing every Friday morning. Um, and so that's how it got up to so many people was we went wide at COVID and all kinds of offshoots occurred. So we then connected up with brothers and sisters over in the UK and I was in London quite a bit doing insurance related work. Um, so got to meet those folks and co-join our efforts and represent ourselves with our mission statement about what we believe as Christ followers to the company as us, the club. Um, and it wasn't a religious club, so it wasn't all other faiths, right? It's we're Christians. So we were careful about that at the beginning. I mean, I would assume it's a pretty straightforward answer, but I would like to the positive. I mean, I'd imagine you having these kind of like track record or steps to prepare and then COVID hit, having that opportune moment to expand. What did you see the impact of that kind of Christian community, that influence and people being able to support one another through care and connection mean for the company overall in your perspective? Yeah, my perspective was we were well thought of by senior leadership. So there's a whole lot about diversity and inclusion and other things going on at the company at a senior level. And I knew the people that ran that in the C-suite that was there. And they had a very strong opinion of positiveness toward us. We're very supportive because we just openly said, hey, we're Christians and we want to gather. We all know that our faith is an important, very integral part of our life. Um, and for all of us in different ways. Right. But we want to be identified as Christians. Don't water us down as some religious thing and we don't need your help. Just don't mess with us. Right. We'll, we'll be over here. And because we served and we were outgoing and loving, et cetera, I think God just protected us. You know, it was, it was, it was, it was him at work protecting us, opening the right doors for us. Um, shielding us from things that we didn't need to get distracted by. And we didn't have people that were politically motivated in our group, trying to stir it up and, you know, doomsayers and other people, fortunately. Oh, that's great. What, what do you yeah. think, how do you think that, um, you're like, and when you have, when you're trying to live out your faith at work, I mean, what does that look like for you? I'm coming out of this context of, of this, this Christians at Experian, the fellowship of Christians at Experian. So how does that kind of fit into or, or help support you or give some direction to your living faith out in your workplace? It allows me to know that, um, there's so many ways that you can be an authentic believer in the workplace and not have to even go through the process of thinking about can I be, how should I be, um, to be my true whole self all day long? Um, you know, there's core tenets like just friendly and smile and care about people and ask genuine stuff. Right. And do what you say you're going to do and be someone that delivers on time and accurately, et cetera. I mean, all those things do it. Sometimes it's, um, you know, I've got this wristband. You, I think you've seen it that, um, was that backwards or, yeah. You read that. I can read it. Give it yeah. to me. What does it say? So I wear that and that, that portrays it to people because they see it, you know, right here. And there's conversations from that. Um, yeah, I think, I think God is absolutely in it to have me do it again and seek to just do life with people. So, you know, the interesting thing was I'm going to be speaking with you in an event at Saddleback and it got announced apparently somewhere where people are seeing it. I just found out on LinkedIn. I love technology. So this is news flash for you right now. Right. Um, a person that's in the health system at UCI saw that I'm going to be speaking at this thing. And for whatever reason connected because of Saddleback where she goes and said, Hey, what about other Christians at work? I'm so glad you're doing this. Let's find Christians here in the health campus and you got to get them over there and let's get a Christian network going. And I just went, Laura, all right. That's God made it easy. Yeah. And he'll, and he'll do it for other people. I mean, there's just so many ways that once you're looking for it, you see it, right? If you're not looking for it and you're just doing your job and your Excel spreadsheets and answering all your emails, but I don't want to do, I don't want to do work that way. I want to, I want to be me with my people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
living faith out, out at work. I mean, it could be a, a large range of things. I think you're, which is nice. Some people have a hard time thinking about what that can actually look like and maybe even overthink it as I'm talking to you. And as you're sharing, it's just like, it's just you being you. So what, yeah. as a Christian, and so the in, integrity is a part of that, you know, caring for people, just being nice to people and hospitable. So I guess uh, for you in your, in your mind and within your heart, what is being a Christian at, at work mean for you? And, and, and what does that look like to bring your faith to work? Well, it, it means obviously that I put my faith in Jesus and I, I feel as a Jesus follower that we are called to love our God and be in relationship with him and love other people no matter. And sometimes that's enemies loving on them and caring for them. So being a Christian at work for me means really just caring about all the people around me in a different way. They're not people I've got to put up with or deal with to get through the day but there are people I get to interact with and uh, every new job is great because people are excited to meet new people. And if you're a happy outgoing Christian that sometimes uses words, but mostly just as loving um, people are drawn to you. It's, uh, it's unbelievable, right? You're that kind of a person. I know you, I've, I've seen you move through groups of people. And if you're just a pleasant person, um, man, work is so much more fun. And, and God just uses the moments to soothe people into sharing about what they're thinking. And when you get to know these uh, people around you that you work with, um, there's a whole, there's a whole different level of authenticity that leads to the ability at times to share your faith. Right. It's it's that person that's safe and doesn't say too much and knows me and remembers my kids names and knew that I was doing a kitchen project and asked if it's cleaned up and done yet. You know, those kinds of things. People go, hey, you actually pay attention. And maybe they let it slip that, you know, they're really hurting or scared or something. And you can offer to pray for them. No one says no to prayer. Ever. No one says no to prayer. Um, no matter what faith they are, even if they're not sure of faith. Um, so, so what do you mean by that? I no love those says, moments. No, no one says no to prayer. Yeah. How, how does that play out for you? Like, usually it's not right there in front of them because I don't want it to be awkward for them. Right. But it's like, I'll definitely be praying for you. Um, is it okay? What's your mom's name? So I can pray for her specifically, you know, something like that. And then, you know, you go and that becomes part of my prayer day. It makes my journal. It's in my head, whatever. For you, when you, this is, that's great. And I, and I think for you, when you are playing this out and when you're living out your, uh, at work and you're applying yourself, how, do, how does that Christian community, we touched a little bit about that, but how does the Christian community, why would you or would you encourage people that that Christian community at work is paramount? And like to have that kind of community in your life at your workplace is is important for you to put time into and to invest into and to try to, because going alone as a Christian or having loose connections with people at work is difficult. Would you speak to that? Yeah. So I think we have so many opportunities to just kind of be authentic and happy around people that it draws people in to have different kinds of conversations with you. It's not always just about the sports or the whatever of the moment. Maybe that's what people are talking about in the hallway and you join in. Other times it's, you know, I was waiting, we have a coffee that brews and it's great, but sometimes it's empty. So you've got to wait five minutes for it to make a whole new thing. So you get to stand there and talk to people. Um, and I had an intern that starts, uh, started and biotech and MBA, like really smart, could probably like run rings around me soon. It's going to help me with AI work. And we're sitting there waiting and she's from India. So I'm like, coffee or tea? She's like, oh, coffee all the way. Okay. Why? So she explained her love for coffee and tea is a thing, but you know, et cetera, in Mumbai. And then when we were both done, we left and I said, coffee is an example of God's love for us. Isn't coffee is amazing. And that was it. As I was holding my cup, you know, like a little, my own personal little fireplace, warming myself and making my being better because of it, what I was going to consume in a minute. 
And we shared that moment and that, you know, her God could be one of 29 different ones in India. I'm not sure, but you know, she knows where I'd stand that I'll talk about it here and there. You know, I think it, what I hear is just really that sincerity of who you are the care for people. I, I think sometimes when, when, when I talk with people and even as I've processed it myself initially, when I was in the workplace, my idea was like, how do I, like sharing my faith, this seems like a really important thing. And how do I push that? Or how do I drive that as an, not as an agenda, but really like kind of intentionally direct conversations there. And it was hard. Like it doesn't really naturally go there in an office setting, whether it's at a, at the, at the coffee station or whether it's over cubicle walls or even in an office now, let alone on like, you know, video calls that we might have, but actually really it's the sincerity of who we are that we care about people, you know, you know, and when I think about Christianity and I think about, uh, the, the essence of, you know, God, Jesus says like a, he came not to, came to serve, not to be served. And so our outlook when we are at the office is to, to be serving other people. And that really becomes that ministry, as you were mentioning, not seeing the people just as people that we have, we have to work with, we have to get through to be able to get the stuff that we need to get done, but really seeing them as the opportunity and really engaging them with sincerity, with like real concern for what's happening with their life. Anyway, these are just some themes that I hear you, you speaking about that I think are you know, really significant to the way that we approach our workday. And, and I think is a really like basic, but really intentional and significant way that we bring our faith to our work. Uh, that's, that's Yeah. And it, it is, I think, you know, like innovation occurs at a point when you give yourself margin to innovate. If you're just doing emails all day, you're never going to innovate anything. So you've got to create, and most of us live by our calendars. So I, I will intentionally block time in my calendar and therefore it'll get done and be noted with an alarm because I use reminders um, to pray and ask for God's guidance, you know, for the day ahead for a few minutes and be intentional about it. And then I'll have other times where I'm just like, sit and think you got to create something. You can't just put your hands on the mouse and start making, you need to think about this, draw it. Um, and you need to think about your relationships with God and the workplace. If you're going to be someone of influence in the workplace and everyone can be, everyone could be in their own way, even if it's three people in a, in a section back by the cafeteria, wherever the, wherever the heck you gather and whatever your sphere is. Um, if you put time to it and start thinking about it and being intentional, um, in the way that you communicate, seek and talk to people, um, everyone could make something happen. So, you know, I guess we'll have some of this stuff on your website eventually, but there's, there's a methodology to do it. Starting a club is, is, pretty universally accepted at uh, workplaces. And then you can put up banners and things to let people know, email this, do that and start gathering names. Um, if you put a few minutes here and there on your calendar, you'll do it. And then you'll find people. It just, there's a process. That's great. When you are looking at uh, a, a lot of people, when they, they, they think about being a Christian in their workplace, sometimes the, the characteristics of, of, of a Christian, when we look at the fruits of the spirit is like gentleness, <laughs> patience, meekness, that sometimes feels counterintuitive to the way that work needs to be done when there is in a, you know, you, with just the sometimes the aggressive nature of, of business. How do you see those two things coming together? And can you succeed by being, you know, a sincere Christian in the workplace? Great question. Um, yeah, a lot of it has to do with your own personality, style, and brand in the workplace, right? So I love how the Bible informs just what's the right thing to do in life anyway. So in the workplace, you would pull all those attributes of a good person and wisdom, and you would put them in an executive as a description of your resume. Mm. Right? Your CV should say many of those things about you in one way or another. And not just two million dollars from sales receiving budget approval, you know, whatever. Um, so, I, th I think the uh, I think the process of getting there is going to be unique and different for each person, but everyone's got it in them. Mm -hmm. That's good. I guess final advice: Would you? How would you encourage? Yeah, people that are that are in the workplace, whether they like in 
those that are your colleagues or those that are a, a few years behind you in positions or in roles and responsibility, what would be your advice to them as they are looking to, to really be sincere, to bring their full, full self to work, which is their faith and, and want to live that fully and completely at work? Um, for me, it would be personalize it and make it real. Um, write something, put something somewhere that reminds you that you desire it and put it front and center. Um, you know, as we all want to achieve things, whether you want to lose weight or run a marathon or do whatever your thing is, you got to track it. If you don't measure and you don't track, you'll never achieve. And so I think it's, you know, those that are serious here that listen to this and want to do something, make it a goal, put it, write it down and make it happen. Um, people that execute, keep track of things and, and we'll uh, work toward that goal. That's step one. Most people listen to this and say, I'd love to have that at work, but hear me now say that it's probably you that needs to start it. So what are you doing to write it down and work toward building a club of two or three or four people? And if you're an introvert and it sounds terrifying, go find an extrovert, go find someone like Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Stuart, hey, I appreciate your time today. I think this is a, a true encouragement. It is to me. I, I, I believe it's going to be to others. Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for being willing to share your story and what God has been doing in and through your life. Um, I think it's amazing, and I'm excited to see what comes from the, those that listen to this and are inspired to, to make those changes and implement those things in their life. Mm-hmm.